Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Moosehead. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. It's the weekend. That means another episode of the Pipeline Show. Welcome to the program, everybody. If you're a follower on Patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, then I appreciate you uh, chipping in that couple of bucks a month. Get your early access. You've heard all the interviews that you're going to hear on this week's episode. You patrons have already heard those interviews because you get them two or three days before everybody else. If you're a newcomer to the show, then welcome aboard. And if you're a returning listener, then I appreciate you coming back for more. This opening segment today, probably going to be a, a fairly short one. Not a whole lot going on to talk about in terms of news and notes. I do have a question of the week, though, for you. It's in regards to the NHL draft. Do you think the draft has the uh, perfect amount of rounds? Right now it's seven. Used to be nine. I'm sure it was different before that. But uh, right now it's seven. Is that the right number of rounds? It's a lot more teams than there used to be. And the growth of the game globally means there's a lot more players available. So do you think there should be more rounds? Do you think there should be fewer rounds? Or heck, are you uh, one of those who uh, don't believe there should even be an NHL draft? Everybody should just be free agents. That's the question of the week. It's on Twitter right now. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can follow me and find that question. I just put it up uh, literally five minutes ago. And uh, so far, the vast majority of people say uh, seven is the right amount of rounds and uh, that's like about 57 percent of the vote so far and the next closest just under 23 percent is uh, more rounds so uh, very few people want to see the draft shrink or in fact uh, not have a draft at all although right now just over six percent of the people who have voted have said uh, they'd be fine with uh, getting rid of the draft that surprised me a little bit but there are those uh, folks out there uh, just a couple of newsy things to uh, touch on. Uh, one note from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Willie Paloff from the uh, Chronicle Herald in uh, Halifax uh, reporting this week. Justin Barron, defenseman, draft eligible, and the marquee player for the uh, Mooseheads, uh, had minor corrective shoulder uh, surgery and will miss the start of the season. Uh, but he does make it uh, very clear that this isn't a, a long-term thing, shouldn't miss more than a few games, and also that it is a it was a planned thing. It was a scheduled follow-up from last year's blood clot uh, issue. 
and it was not because we had a flare-up of a similar situation. It was just the next step in uh, taking care of that issue uh, so that it doesn't come back anymore. So Justin Barron on the shelf, but it sounds like it will be temporarily. Uh, speaking of the uh, draft and the queue, of course, the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League exhibition schedule is already underway. Hendricks uh, Lapierre, or Andricks Lapierre, Eight points in four preseason games. He had four in the first game that he played. But uh, that's a notable production from a guy who missed a ton of time last year. And Shikudemi, that's going to be a, a pretty good uh, duo, he and Dawson Mercer this year. Mercer has six points in three games in the preseason. Leading the way right now is Justin Robida from the Valdor Forer, who has uh, ten points. Now, he's played six games, though. Justin Robida is the son of a former Dallas Stars defenseman, Stefan Robida. And uh, he is eligible for the 2021 NHL draft, uh, currently listed at least at, least at elite prospects as a uh, 5'7 and 170 pounds. But this will be year number two for him in the queue. He had 43 points in 57 games last year, including 21 goals. And interestingly, in the picture of him at elite prospects, He's wearing the captain's uh, C in his uh, player profile uh, for Valdor, but I'm not sure if he is uh, the actual captain or if that was a preseason game or something like that. would be unusual to see a 16-year-old captain in, uh, in the Canadian Hockey League as he was last year. But i got to keep tabs on for this coming season. The other uh, news and notes uh, item that I wanted to pass on, I actually saw this on Greg Drennan's blog. He had a link to a story out of Europe. Uh, the gentleman's name is uh, Simon Semberg. And it's in regards to uh, Connor Bedard of the Regina Pats, who is obviously, for those who might not be familiar with the story, uh, the first player to be granted exceptional status to play in the WHL as a full-time uh, player as a 15-year-old. Uh, he right now is in uh, Sweden practicing with HV71's uh, program. And the story from uh, Simon Semberg is just how a player of his caliber, of Bedard's caliber, how playing in the Swedish system would be such an advantage compared to uh, what he can do in North America, where, as uh, Simon says, I didn't mean for it to come out like that, but uh, there it is. Uh, anyway, as uh, Simon points out, uh, playing here in North America, he'd be with the Pats, he'd be with one junior team uh, at playing at the Western Hockey League level for three consecutive years until he's 18, drafted, and then he can move on to uh, the NHL, likely. Uh, whereas in Sweden, he could, as you know, he's a phenom at 15, he could play uh, with the uh, with HV71's uh, U18 program and their U20 program. He could play or practice with both of them. As Simon points out, after Christmas, it's you know, it wouldn't be crazy to think that HV71, some of their junior teams, would have players away at, say, the World Junior Championship or at other national tournaments. And he'd have opportunity to practice with their teams at higher levels. So, you know, as a 15, 16-year-old, he'd have a, an opportunity to practice and even play against uh, sometimes some men. Uh, and he makes the point that they're all in the same system. They're all in the same building. Uh, so really convenient. And I thought that was a, a timely article considering the new lawsuit against the NHL, the AHL, the ECHL, and all three junior leagues uh, under the CHL umbrella started by a guy like Kobe Moore. Uh, because in, when that first was announced, there was uh, mentions from, I don't think it was from Kobe uh, specifically, but from other people, lawyers and stuff, that uh, said uh, 
all of these leagues in North America are conspiring to basically uh, prevent players from moving around and stuff, denying them opportunities. Uh, so when this article came out from Sweden, I found it interesting. Now, Simon does point out, and I'll quote this, this is an opportunity that could be presented to him or any other gifted player from Canada or the United States. So, I mean, the the number of players that could move over at 15 or 16 and have this opportunity from North America uh, would be pretty small. Now, we saw Austin Matthews go to Sweet, uh, Switzerland. So, do I see a lot of North American 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds uh, suddenly, if they had the opportunity, they can't right now anyway, but would they go to Europe to, to uh, take advantage of this type of a scenario, mm, I, I I don't know. I don't know what the advantage would be for a, you know a, a CHL depth player like Kobe Moore, for example. I don't know what the benefit would be for a player like that, the superstar players, then possibly. Uh, but what if you flip it around and could you have that same sort of European, say Swedish model in North America? And that that's kind of the question I'm having now is, could you have that same sort of system in North America? I reached out and I. Uh, Asked that question to Ufie Bodin from Elite Prospects, who's in Sweden, just to find out how it's kind of set up there. And uh, what he told me was that, and this is a quote, pretty much every team on the upper echelon of Swedish clubs have their own high school hockey program where they go to school and play hockey. And every year they let players apply to get into the program. Some are local players, some are from other places. And eventually, if they, they, you know, they start with the U18 teams and the U20 teams, and eventually if things go according to plan, they make it up to the SHL. So uh, let's take that to North America and say Colorado. Colorado, then the Avalanche would own a or operate a high school hockey team where kids would go play in their system and then eventually get to the uh, ECHL and the American Hockey League. And now I don't think they're necessarily they, those minor pro teams would have to be also in Colorado, but they'd have to be operated by the Avalanche. Now, I still go back to geography. In Sweden, Canada can fit Sweden in its back pocket, let alone, you know, how it translates to all of North America. So I don't know if you could have the Swedish system in North America or not. But, uh, hey, something to, something to discuss. Let's get to the guest list. All of these uh, fine folks you will hear on the program today join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, the uh, tap room open in Red Deer. But, of course, you can get your... Same day, home delivery right to your door. You order by 1 o'clock. You do this through their website at troubledmonk.com. You enter the promo code PIPELINE, and it doesn't matter if you're spending, if you're buying a six-pack or you're spending $200, that uh, delivery will be free as long as you use the promo code, which is PIPELINE. I haven't told you about Made in the Shade. It's one of the uh, newer uh, brews that, that they have at Troubled Monk. It is a raspberry fruit beer. Uh, I was curious, gave it a try, because I've had some raspberry uh, beers, craft beers in the past, and uh, quite liked them. And uh, this one is no different in that regard. Uh, made in the shade. It's unique, though, for Troubled Monk, and uh, I find it delicious. So if you uh, are into that sort of craft beer as well, why don't you give it a try? But, of course, you've got your your staples, the uh, Golden Gates Golden Ale and the Pesky Pig Pale Ale and the Bucktooth Belgian White and the Open Road American Brown Ale. Uh, Daycation Lager is a, a favorite, and uh, the Juicy Gossip IPA, also delicious. Uh, and those are just uh, some of the, the beers you can get. Of course, you can get the Adequate Vodka. And I'm just looking at the website right now, and uh, they've got Adequate Vodka Soda, a lemon-lime flavor, which I haven't tried yet. So individual cans, 
might have to try that out. I've had the Epitaph gin and soda, and uh, that's quite delicious. Always something new at Troubled Monk. And keep tabs on their website uh, to see what's in and what's out of stock uh, because it changes uh, quite a bit. So uh, check that out at troubledmonk.com. Make sure you tell them the Pipeline Show sent you. All right, the guest list this week, uh, only three, as I uh, could not secure the fourth guest that I was after, somebody that uh, a listener had requested, play-by-play guy out of the NCAA, uh, but we'll uh, endeavor to keep trying uh, to get him on the show in an upcoming episode. Uh, But three guests. Uh, We'll start in the USHL, the GM of the Chicago Steel. His name is Ryan Hardy. What a success story he has had. And uh, won't be surprised to see if he continues on the career path that he's had, the trajectory. This is a guy who could be at the NCAA level or at, at the uh, minor pro and then the NHL level. Man, he's 34 now. He uh, won the GM of the Year Award just two years ago, his first season in the USHL. He worked for the program before that, the U.S. National Development Program, and uh, was coaching at uh, Sacred Heart as a, an assistant coach before that. Uh, but having a ton of success uh, building that program in Chicago, now a perennial powerhouse. Uh, So uh, an extended conversation with Ryan Hardy uh, that I know you will enjoy. Then uh, we'll uh, chat some Alberta Junior Hockey League. Brandon Ewan Cheshire, the uh, voice of the Spruce Grove Saints, will update us on what's happening around uh, the AJHL. And we'll uh, close things out with a 2020 draft spotlight segment. Uh, Tyson Forster of the uh, Barry Colts player I've been uh, trying to track down for a little while and I was able to do that early in the week. So we'll uh, have that conversation with you to wrap things up. So uh, three guests this week joining me via the Troubled Monk Hotline. We'll start with Ryan Hardy, the GM of the Chicago Steel. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Brock Besser from the Waterloo Blackhawks. Hey, it's Kyle Connor from the Youngstown Fans. I'm Gary from the View Flying Saints. Hi, it's Ali Tolman from Sioux City Musketeers. Hi, this is Ryan Patolny, former player with the Lincoln Stars. This is Cooper Marodi from the Sioux Falls Stampede. Blake McLaughlin from the Chicago Steel. Hey, this is Sam Gagne, formerly of the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri-City Storm. Hi, this is Tom Gilbert, former Chicago Steel player. Jack Curry from the Waterloo Blackhawks. It's Casey Middlestaff from the Green Bay Gamblers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Back on The Pipeline Show, let's kick off this week's episode with uh, a guest I've been uh, looking forward to uh, having a chat with for uh, a while now. And uh, through the uh, the pandemic, it was maybe a little bit uh, more challenging to uh, to get guests, and uh, I didn't want to 
a call on this guy until things got a little bit closer back to normal. But uh, we're going to look at the USHL, and uh, well, they're down to 14 teams for this coming season with Cedar Rapids uh, suffering rink damage with a big storm uh, about a month ago, and uh, most recently the Madison Capitals have uh, decided they're not going to play this year because of uh, all the restrictions in place uh, around the COVID-19 situation in Wisconsin. But uh, really pleased to be joined by Ryan Hardy, who is uh, the man behind all the success here in the last couple of years of the Chicago Steel. Uh, Mr. Hardy, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I mentioned I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I mentioned it to you before we started, but you're 34 years old, and you've had a ton of success already, and you've you've only been in the USHL for two years. First year, you win GM of the year. Last year, your team was by far the best team in, in the uh, the USHL. What's the secret to your success, sir? Well, I mean, uh, very kind of you to say. I, I'm i really lucky. Uh, I, I We have a great staff of guys uh, that I get to work with every day and uh, and really a great group of kids. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you and say I didn't know that uh, we'd get it going like this as fast as we did. But it's uh, certainly, you know, we all take a lot of pride in it. And it's uh, a lot of fun to, to go to work every day with like-minded people that have a real passion for hockey and a passion for developing players and then uh to have players you know that have these extraordinary talents and uh you know get to watch them uh work every day and and watch their talent grow it's just uh sure beats going to work i'll tell you (laughs) well i've been following you on twitter for a while and i'm always entertained by the stuff uh, that you're putting out uh, just really, I want to go back on your career path to where you are now in the USHL, uh, atop of the Chicago Steel. But your path, I mean, you, you've been uh, a coach in the NCAA and you worked uh, with the uh, the National Development Program before you got to the USHL. A couple of years with the Boston Bruins as a scout. Were you a player uh, along the way as well before that? I'm looking at a, a website that only lists like one year of when you're 14 years old or something like that. So did you uh, did you play? Yeah, I would dispute. I think they only gave me credit for one goal that year. I don't know what's yeah. going on with that. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, yeah, I played all through high school, and then uh, I'm really honest about it. I was one of the kids who uh, was a pretty skilled player. I, I didn't have the best habits uh, away from the rink. I didn't have the best habits at the rink, and um, hmm. you know, I probably in a lot of areas wasted a lot of opportunity uh, that I could have had uh, just by virtue of you know, not having the right mindset and really not having uh, my priorities really in the order that they should have been. And um, so I, you know, as a result of that, uh, you know, I've kind of taken a long road to this place that that I'm at right now. Um, and like I said, I've had some really fun stops uh, on that journey in a lot of different levels and uh, getting the coach, getting the scout. Um, and even, I mean, my first kind of quote unquote job in hockey, I was 18 years old coaching a Bantam B team. Um, you know, just cause I had a passion for helping young people and, and I loved hockey and, uh, never really set out to do this as a job, uh, just kind of found me. And then, you know, I think I've been fortunate, uh, in a lot of ways to be able to use really my own experiences and my own shortcomings that maybe, uh, you know, caused me to lose some of those opportunities to help, uh, with some young, talented people that are way more talented than me uh you know help them work through some of those times in their lives and um it's just been uh been a lot of fun so what changed for you if if you were you kind of describe yourself maybe a bit of a knucklehead when you were a teenager or whatever but what turned it around for you yeah i think 
you know, like a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of things go on when you're a teenager and you make mistakes and you, you know, hopefully uh, have good role models like I did uh, that are teaching you the right way to go about your business. And uh, some for some people, it clicks, uh, you know, when you're real young, right in real time. And for other people like me, uh, it takes a little longer for all those lessons to manifest themselves. So, uh, yeah, you know, just work through that and got to a point where I said, okay, you know, uh, I can either, uh, you know, just keep scuffling like I am and keep making poor decisions, or I can learn from the mistakes that I'm making. And, and, uh, and if I want to make something out of my life, you know, I'm going to have to change the way I'm going about my business. So just kind of made that, uh, decision. And, uh, when I was young, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I had done very poorly academically, uh, in high school, I ended up uh, going to community college, actually, and really just starting from the ground level. And then I transferred to Sacred Heart. And when I was there, I got involved uh, with the hockey team there just as like a student intern or whatever. And, um, you know, like I said, a lot of people started looking after me and started helping me. And then I started, you know, gaining some momentum. And uh, it's one of those things just trying to continue to learn. And, you know, for me in this role, I think that thinking about where I started and the process that I had to work through. Uh, it's very humbling, you know, to always reflect back on that and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you, I think always, you know, in pursuit of what's next and, and what you can do to keep improving uh, what you're doing. So in a lot of ways, you know, some of those challenges uh, that were difficult as a teenager, you know, I look back now as blessings that, that helped me, uh, you know, learn and, and get in the situation that I find myself now. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan Hardy, the GM of the Chicago Steel, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. You go from Sacred Heart to the uh, National Development Program. Then how do you get connected with the Boston Bruins? You would have been, what, 29, 30 years old, something like that? Yeah, probably right in that window there. I uh, It was pure happenstance, really. The Bruins, uh, Ryan Nato called me and just said, hey, would you be interested? Uh, you know, we've been kind of watching your work a little bit. Would you be interested? Uh, we have an opening covering the U.S. and uh, I said yeah you know I definitely thought that was the next step in my career that I needed to take uh, to get an opportunity at the NHL level and learn uh, the inner workings of how things uh, you know work there and and I went there and it was great experience with the Bruins for two years I was able to take a lot of the lessons that I'd learned at the national program uh, you know studying the players that we had there and apply them to my scouting and then um, you know when I eventually came to Chicago. There was a lot of lessons that I took from, you know, the Boston experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, building these ideas in my head of if I ran my own team, what, uh, how I would, you know, operate these different departments. And uh, uh, so I used that experience to uh, set myself up to be prepared when this opportunity came. And, um, you know, this one has, has certainly been a real good one for me. Well, and as I mentioned, uh, GM of the year, your first year in the USHL, that I don't imagine that happens very often. So right away, you've you've got a winning team. I think your club was actually coming off a Clark Cup uh, championship uh, uh, before you got there as well. And then last year, an even better squad. And uh, I don't know what the secret to success is. I'm sure there are uh, 16 or 15 other teams in the USHL that would like me to ask uh, what you're doing. Uh, what is the secret to building a winning USHL team year after year? I think it's um, it's really difficult in the way of the league uh, by virtue of the two drafts and, and those being in reverse order of the standings. It's very difficult in this league to, you know, 
be one of the top teams every year. And, uh, uh, you know, when I first got to the team, like you said, they had gone on a deep run and won the championship. I think it was two years before. And then uh, the year before I got there, uh, they, they had a lot of talent with guys like Dugan and McLaughlin. And uh, they just couldn't really put it together that year for whatever reason. And then, uh, you know, a lot of guys had gone on to college. Certainly when we started in, in my first year, even us internally, you know, we were just had the expectation of, all right, let's kind of put our systems and our philosophies in place and then let's try to make the playoffs if we make the playoffs and develop our young players uh to set us up for a year two you know we'll have put ourselves in a good position and then that team uh things just started to come together i think we had this idea of development and tying you know the scouting to the individual player development to the team style of play concepts um and it just clicked way faster than any of us uh, expected. And then, you know, we felt, uh, kind of early in that first, or early, early in the second half, excuse me, of that first year that we had a contender, uh, and we went out and got Josiah Slavin, uh, from Lincoln. And he, um, you know, really helped boost us. And, and like you said, we went all the way to the final that year. And then, uh, we lost a lot of good players. Nick Abrazizi. I talked about Josiah Slavin, our captain, Mateo Pietro Nero, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Abrazizi, uh, Robert Mastro Simone. I was a, a lot of good players on that team and, uh, and we were able to, you know, we were building for the second year. We knew we had a good squad, uh, certainly to have that success. I don't know if we could have entirely predicted that, but I would be lying to you if I said we didn't have a pretty good feeling of what it was. And then, so I think to answer your question that it's, uh, the important part for us is the drafting. You know, we have a system in place in the drafting to continue to, make sure that our pipeline, um, you know, runs deep. And then we're very committed to allowing like our third and fourth line is very young players. So you come in on our team and, and you start, I mean, there's, you know, the odd exception, the Adam Fantilli's of the world, you know, that uh, have so much talent uh, or own power that come and maybe they don't have to start, you know, on the fourth line or the third line, but uh, you know, the guys come in, they earn their stripes and, and we've created a culture where, uh, our second year players really look after our first players and look after their de- first year players and look after their development. And they know in the first year that the older players, the returning players are uh, expected to give up some of their self-interest so that the younger players can get experience and so that they can fail um, and that they can grow. And this is now, you know, now that we're in year three, um, we're, we're, we're really seeing this manifest itself where guys that have been here for two and three years, just take this extraordinary amount of pride in the development piece. And they know that part of everyone's development is that mentoring the young guys that come in and the young guys that come in, uh, regardless of how talented they are, uh, you know, come in recognizing the culture, recognizing that what we're doing is stuff that they've never seen before, whether that's, you know, on the ice with our coaches, on the ice with our guys in player development, uh, off the ice in the gym, uh, you know, with Bobby Lucas, who runs our, our sports performance department. And, uh, and then, you know, or even with, you know, uh, our, we have a mindset resilience company that we partner with to make sure, you know, the kids are have the tools there or heck in study hall. We have, uh, uh, I think we have 13 or 14 players this year still in high school, which in our league, you're typically looking at five or six on a team. So, uh, kind of how we sustain it is just by bringing in young, talented players and letting them cut their teeth and grow and fail. And then 
we figure that if we invest in the young players every year, that most of them will come back in the second year. And we always will have, you know, 12 or 14 players that have previous experience in the league. And then we just augment that with the next group of talented young players that we believe in. And then that, you know, cycle and and that system allows us to, you know, really never have those lulls where we're, you know, never having to tank and, and sell off to get assets. We're able to, uh, accumulate assets and, 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 you know, set ourselves up like this past year in our league, the, the drafts are set up where it's, uh, the first year eligible players this past year was 04s. Um, you know, you draft them on the first day and then a lot of teams are rebuilding their team in phase two for the upcoming season, uh, through that draft, which covers any player that's junior eligible. And for us, we traded away most of those picks on the second day because we didn't have to make many picks, uh, by virtue of, the affiliate list that we built and, and the model that we have. Um, and then, you know, the other day we had an expansion draft, like you talk about with a couple of teams leaving and we picked out 11 and we weren't looking to say, Hey, we need to add a player that's going to, you know, help move the needle for us this year. We're able to add Quinn Finley, who is, uh, you know, one of the very best of fours in the United States. And uh, so now we have an opportunity to influence his development. And I think players appreciate that our main focus is their development and that we're investing in them. And uh, so each year, more and more of them want to come and, uh, and and just be a part of what we got going on. It's interesting because you're competing with the rest of the USHL for players with the draft and, and things like that and recruiting to some degree. But also with Major Junior, most of the high-end players will have been drafted by teams in both uh, sides of the border. Does the success that you've had the last couple of years make that recruiting battle a little bit easier for your club? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Owen Power and his parents, Trish and Z, uh, met with Greg Moore and I, you know, two and a half years ago, and we were selling them ideas with no proof that any of this would work. Hmm. And uh, they made a decision to send their son, then 15 years old, uh, to Chicago and and play with us. And um, it wasn't an easy decision. It was never something that they intended to do. They always planned to him for him to play. Uh, back home in, in, in the OJ and then, uh, you know, maybe go to the USHL the year after and then on to Michigan. And they kind of bought what we were selling and, and allowed him to come. And, uh, certainly Owen Power, um, has built a bridge to Canada for us. Um, without Owen Power, there's no Adam Fantilli, you know. So, um, I think those guys, uh, have opened the door and, uh, you know, we have Dawson Pasternak on our team who, uh, was drafted and signed with the Portland Winterhawks, and, and he had the opportunity to go there uh, this upcoming season, this season that we're about to embark on, um, and decided, you know, he really valued what he was getting in Chicago and elected to stay in the USHL as opposed to go to the Western Hockey League. And then, you know, we're also having high-end kids that are saying, hey, you know, I'd like to go to college, but maybe I'll stay my extra year in Chicago because they're really believing in and what they're getting from a development standpoint. And then, like you said, it's uh, whether it's Twitter or what have you, there's a lot of hype that is built around this program now. And a lot of people are very intrigued with the things that our coaches and our player development staff, and then ultimately our players are doing. And I think the more that that noise builds, you know, the more people start to look and say, Hey, something, you know, different is going on over there. Um, and so it certainly is, 
is helping us recruit, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways. You mentioned Owen Power. You mentioned uh, Adam Fantilli. These are guys who are going to be big-name players for even just casual NHL fans. We'll get to know those guys over the next a couple of years. But you have a handful of players uh, notable for the uh, upcoming NHL draft that's in early October. If I can pick your brain about a, a handful of those guys or a few of them, um, let's start with Brendan Brisson and just what he meant to your team. Second in, in team scoring, uh, but here's a guy who's getting a lot of first-round hype. Yeah, it sounds like Brendan uh, has really cemented himself in that first-round conversation. He he was a great player for us. Uh, he's very unique in that he's a centerman that, uh, you know, a lot of centermen, as you know, are are more distributors, you know, guys that are making plays and making everybody around them better. And he has that quality, but he also has some other qualities in terms of just fast-twitch dynamic skill that he has that he can beat guys one-on-one. And then he's got the big one-timer and the ability to score goals a lot of different ways. So he's got a lot of tools in his toolbox, um, you know, which make him very unique in that way. And, you know, the thing I love about Brendan is, quite frankly, three years ago, uh, he wasn't very good. Um, You know, he was an underdeveloped player that was buried, you know, uh, deep on the depth chart on on the good Shattuck birth year. Um, And he was just kind of finding his way. And then a couple of years ago, I saw him at the Select 17 camp, and there was days there um, that I thought he was the best player. And I was a little surprised he didn't make the U.S. team uh, coming out of that tournament. But he just kept going, went back to Shattuck, had another great year, or had a great year there. I think he had 100 points. And then a uh, situation presented itself where we were able to uh, acquire his rights, and he came in and, uh, you know, he was a dominant player right from day one. Certainly there was – Areas that he had to grow, uh, particularly off the puck, which a lot of guys, you know, coming out of midget, uh, they, they're talented. They usually don't play much, uh, in their own end. So he had to learn a lot of things like that. But yeah, he was a treat and, and his, uh, his talent and his dynamic skill and creativity and problem solving ability, um, you know, is pretty unique. And, and, uh, you know, he's really earned that position that he's, he's found himself where it sounds, uh, at least more probable than not that, that he's going to hear his name called on, on the first night. Had Brendan on the show about, I don't know, about a month and a half ago. Had Luke Reed on the program uh, uh, somewhere around November or something uh, last year. Another guy that's uh, eligible. Sam Colangelo, I haven't had a chance to have on the show. What can you tell me about him? Yeah, Sam, he's uh, another kid, another late, he's a later developer physically. Uh, where he's interesting is that I think he's about six two and a half now, maybe six three. He's growing over the summer. Um, he's about 205, 210 pounds. And and even still, his body, you know, you look at those numbers, you think he's a man. Uh, his body hasn't fully transformed yet from, from adolescence to manhood. So I think there's still lots of opportunity left in that frame for him to continue to get powerful and more stronger. And, you know, we were on him this year. We wanted to see a skating uh, take a jump, and, and it did. He worked at that. And, um, you know, if you look at his production, like there's a lot of time where we had great chemistry of a line with uh d st foul Farrell, and brisson and then uh oftentimes that would put uh colangelo and fontaine together you know and they didn't always get the prime minutes that the other guys did and for colangelo and his big frame and, and he worked on making plays he, you know he came in a little bit as a guy who was shoot first and, and heavily rely on himself to score goals and and he developed a lot of secondary elements from a playmaking perspective and you know, he had an incredible amount of five-on-five production for uh, a first-year draft-eligible player in the USHL. And uh, he's one of those players, I think, that as people have gone back 
uh, in this crazy pandemic time and, and studied, uh, uh, you know, his game some more on video. He keeps climbing, keeps climbing. And, you know, where we're at right now, two weeks out, it wouldn't shock me, uh, you know, if his name got called late in the twenties, uh, and, and, uh, and early in the thirties. So, uh, you know, his stock continues to rise and, uh, you know, he again was, a an important piece for us and a guy that very similar to, to Brendan. One advantage Sam did have is he played about 15 games for us uh, the year before as an affiliate player when we went to the finals. Um, but he came in, you know, still as a first-year draft eligible coming out of prep hockey. And uh, just like Brendan, he, he produced right from day one. I wonder if there's a guy that you think that's eligible for the draft uh, here next month uh, that you think has been overlooked uh, to some degree. I, I have a name that uh, some scouts have given me, but I'm wondering if uh, if it's, it's the guy that you'll mention uh, or not. But is there somebody you think uh, hasn't got as much attention as he deserves? First year draft eligible? Uh, not necessarily. Just from your team that's uh, that's up for the draft this year. I got I got a few. I would yeah. say the most prominent name is probably Sean Farrell. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of days, and Sean, you know, he gets. I don't know if punished is the right term. Uh, you know, he's five nine and, and he's, and he's pretty, pretty physically developed. And, you know, where those other guys, two guys, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, you know, Sean played two years in the national program. So he was a guy, you know, as hyped of a team as there ever has been there. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that everybody knew. And, um, in a lot of ways, he was a guy who really stirred the drink for us, like his playmaking ability through the middle of the rink and his ability. Uh, I mean, he's very, very competitive uh, and, and impactful in that way, even for an undersized player. But his playmaking ability, uh, you know, certainly is exceptional. And then, uh, oof, you know, we got a couple guys that have been through a few times in Gunnar Fontaine, Matty D. St. Fowl, Jimmy Dowd, uh, all those guys, I, I think, you know, have shown tremendous growth. And, and they're all guys, I think they get a little punished for, for being undersized. Uh but I'm confident they'll find a way. And then we got one, you know, guy who's back on our team this year, uh, Josh Doan, you know, Shane's boy there that uh, when we drafted him two and a half years ago, I don't, I mean, he was five, five, 120 something pounds. And uh, he's in now at uh, almost six, two, uh, 180 pounds. And, you know, he's had some knocks on his skating, which quite frankly are, are, are fair. It's an area he's got to continue to develop, but, you know, he's a guy whose body has grown so rapidly. Uh and, and his skating is definitely coming. His power is coming and he's got hockey sense. He's got competitiveness. Uh, he's got the pedigree and, and he can score goals. And I think he's a guy that maybe got a little bit punished on our team last year, just, uh, you know, by the depth that we had and then didn't get the opportunity. And I'm excited for him, uh, to, to take a jump. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I probably could go on for a while, you know, rambling about those guys. Certainly, uh, you know, when, yeah, when they give you so much, you, want to fight for them and and uh and i love those guys and, and really appreciate everything that they've all given us well loaded team and uh, looks like it's going to be another good year for chicago assuming there is a year do you have concerns about how you know how smoothly things are going to uh, uh get kicked off here for the ushl november 6th is the uh, targeted start date i believe uh, and uh you have guys getting together now and i think exhibition games and stuff supposed to start in mid-october you're one state away from Wisconsin who, and we just saw the Madison Capitals shut down for the year. So do you have some concerns about what can happen for the rest of the league? Um, I think that in the climate that we're currently in, I think you're always, you know, going to have some concern uh, just by virtue of, I mean, if we look at our group, 
you know, going back to last February, like we never would have thought any of this, you know, was going to happen in the way that it did. So mm-hmm. I think you have that mentality of just not taking any day for granted because it can be gone in an instant. But in terms of, I think our league has done a great job, like um, the league office, how they've handled this, how they allowed teams to have the most possible opportunity, the longest runway that they could to, you know, decide whether it made sense to go or not, or if they're, you know, county, uh, you know, would allow them to go uh, without fans. And, uh, um, you know, we were no different going through that process. You know, I would say outside of the obvious, you know, that we just live in such a, uh, you know, crazy time right now and, and you can't, we don't have answers to all this stuff and nothing can be predicted. Uh, outside of that, I, I don't have too many concerns. I, I feel very confident uh, in what the league is saying about the November 6th date. And uh, we've had our guys, our whole team's been in town for two weeks. Uh, we tested everyone uh, before they got to town, before they left their homes uh, to make sure they were clear before they came. Then we quarantined them uh, for 48 hours and we got there, tested them again um, and, and made sure that we had a, a clean, I guess it's not really a bubble, but a, a quasi bubble, if you will. And um, yeah, so I mean, the league put together some really good testing protocols for, for all the teams and uh, they have been, I think the schedule is going to come out next week. So they, you know, took their time with that to make sure that that, you know, they got that right. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, I, I feel really good about uh, us going off on November 6th. And, you know, maybe we'll have hiccups along the way. Everybody's got to be prepared for that in an uncertain world. Um, but but I'm confident that we can pull it off. Will there be fans? Uh, I think it's uh, my understanding is it's all state to state guidelines. Okay. Uh, so I know in the state of Illinois, we cannot have uh, uh we can't, as an entertainment venue, we're not allowed to, to have fans, um, you know, and I think that speaks to our owner, Larry Robbins, uh, who has allowed this, you know, when we, uh, Illinois came down with some language that uh, our, our our president, Dan Webb, was able to work with the state and, and make sure we were okay in that. But there was some concern for a couple of days of whether we were going to be able to play uh, in the state of Illinois, given um you know, all of the things that are going on and, and our owners first, uh, you know, response to that was, okay, well, if we got to go out of state, like I'll foot the bill, you know, whatever it costs, we'll make it work so that all the kids can develop and play and, and so that we can keep this going. So, uh, yeah, we're going without fans for the foreseeable future, um, you know, which does take a little bit of the junior hockey experience away from the kids in our market. But mm-hmm. uh, I think they're just happy to be back with their team and playing hockey. And then, you know, and I know in some of the other states, it's 50% capacity um, in some. So I think some USHL markets will have fans, some won't. And uh, and uh, you just have to navigate uh, that situation, you know, accordingly. Is there a TV deal for the league? I don't uh, Up here, we don't get to see any games other than online uh, packages and stuff. But I don't know, like, is it a pretty gate-driven league? Because that could, that could add up quickly for uh, some teams. Because I know travel is significant in the USHL. Yeah, no, it is a, it is a gate-driven league. And... Uh, you know, we're going with a regional schedule to limit some of that travel, limit some of those hotel, you know, nights. And then, uh, and certainly I, you know, there's a COVID, uh, di- you know, piece of that. And then there's also an economic piece, you know, mm-hmm. just being totally honest about it in a, in a gate driven league. Uh, so, you know, the owners uh, had to make a determination whether they were willing to make that commitment. And fortunately, you know, for us, we had a lot of owners across our league, uh, that, you know, understand that, hey, you know, if you're in a market like Chicago and, and Illinois may not open, 
you know, you're going to have to, you know, foot the bill for, for these losses. And, um, um, you know, I think it's a testament to uh, the commitment to uh, the kids that, that our owner and certainly some other owners around the league that find themselves in states with other situations uh, similar to ours and, and are electing to go. I, you know, those guys deserve a lot of credit. Absolutely. Ryan, I really appreciate your time. I, I certainly wish you the best of luck, and, and I hope the league gets going and everything uh, runs smoothly and there's no big uh, problems, that's for sure. I think everybody would really like to see hockey back at, at, at uh, multiple levels, including the USHL. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and, and for talking about our guys. That was Ryan Hardy, the uh, GM of the Chicago Steel. And as I mentioned, uh, what a track record. In a very, very short period of time, he has put together for that program uh, to the point now it's it's a, it's a perennial powerhouse in that league. And looks like uh, they're going to be contenders once again this uh, coming season. Let's hope the season gets off uh, without a hitch. And they are able to play just like we wish that for every league that uh, tries to start up. And hopefully there are no complications. It seems like a, you know, a pretty big ask uh, for that to uh, to go off smoothly. But I know I personally would be happy to be wrong uh, on that one. USHL expected to start November sixth. Uh, preseason exhibition games uh, in mid October, leading up to that. Next up on the program, uh, another Junior A league that is uh, looking to uh, start up, but uh, we don't have a, an actual start date for the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Brandon Ewan Sheshin, the voice of the Spruce Grove Saints, he's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Soretsky, Mitchell, one-time shot, scores! Ian Mitchell, this kid's been red hot here on this road trip. He's got goals in back-to-back games, and he opens the scoring here. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Spruce Grove Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates Golden Ale, an easy-drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world, grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable, Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yes, that's awesome. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and I uh, mentioned it the last couple of weeks that uh, wanted to touch base with the Alberta Junior Hockey League and uh, see what's happening with the league since it was announced that uh, they were going to push back the start of the season. I think, as most people expected, would be the case. Uh, well, teams are uh, together now and uh, are starting to practice and play some inner squad games, things like that. So let's uh, get speed with the Spruce Grove Saints. And, of course, that means uh, get to have a conversation again with the uh, voice of the Saints. That's Brandon Ewan-Cheshen. Uh, Brandon, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, Guy. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, excited to chat a little bit of hockey, even though we haven't got to talk much about it here in about the last eight months or so at the junior level. No kidding. And I guess that's maybe where we should start. What has that been like for not just for you, but on a personal level and, and a professional level, but for the club and for the league in general? A long delay like this can't be good for anybody. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it all the way back to the playoffs last year in March. Uh, we just wrapped up 
Uh, six-game series against Grand Prairie. We were moving on to the second round to face off against White Court. And I believe it was the Thursday that everything got canceled. We were set to start the round on the Friday. Um, obviously, you feel for the players and the 20-year-olds and the guys that, you know, had their last chance to go win something. But uh, you mentioned a personal level, too. You get wrapped up in those playoff runs, you know, as well as I do, that you're, you're kind of part of the team and you're, you're riding the ride with them. And for it to come crashing to an end like that, uh, just with so many unknowns, it's, it's tough for everybody involved. Uh, it's almost better to lose, I guess, in that sense, where you have some closure. You know how it would have ended. Right. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the health and safety of everybody is, is important. And we completely understand why it was done. But, you know, it's still a tough pill to swallow at the end of the day. And then uh, summertime and, and the off season a little weirder than normal, right? There's not a regular spring camp. There's not a regular ID camp. Um, we did end up having those things. They just were a little later. The golf tournament as well got pushed back. So, just just some scheduling, juggling, really, at the end of the day, everything got done, obviously, with a lot more precautions. And now as we slowly, hopefully, get back into things here, I mean, main camp started on time. As you know, the EJHL development season is underway, and, and the guys are practicing. They're all here and kind of on a regular basis. The only difference right now is, is no games, and, and no games really in the future site here. Maybe something coming down the pipe in mid-October in terms of a preseason, but nothing really set in stone yet. All right, before we continue talking about what's ahead, uh, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned, just how tough it is for the, the guys who no longer have junior eligibility uh, for the way the season ended and the playoffs ended last year. And I think you nailed it right on the head when you said that because it's one thing to lose your last game, and that gives you some closure, but not to even be able to play your last game. Um, that's got to stick uh, uneasy with a lot of guys, I would think. How many uh, how many players do the uh, the Saints lose just because of no longer being junior eligible? Uh, we lose quite a bit of players. Um, you can throw everybody in that category, really. The guys that are too old, the guys that are gone to college, and the guys that have, that have moved on. Uh, you can go through the list. It's quite extensive. It's about 10-plus guys wow. from last year, this year, that aren't coming back as a result. Of course, you got your... Your five twenty-year-olds, which which were which were leaving no matter what. Um, yep. Michael Blade, Noel Sharanka, uh, Cole Bassett, Ryan Texford, Braden Nicolette. Uh, the list kind of goes on. And then you got guys moving on to college. Ryan Conroy's off to Yale. Seth fighting off the Bowling Green. Um, and then you got a few guys that are also moving on to the uh, USHL. And Matt Davis, Ethan Edwards, um, and, and guys like that. Um, I, I really have no idea what's happening in terms of their season, but. When you look at the numbers, it's a pretty extensive turnaround here and, and kind of turnover in terms of players who, who would be wearing Saints jerseys from last year to this year. But uh, as always, the recruiting staff, GM Rob Skarouk, head coach Bram Steven, and, and all the scouts have done a great job in recruiting for the program. And, and once again, uh, hopefully when we do have a season and it's competitive, uh, the Saints will once again be a contender. Well, you mentioned the uh, the summer camp. Is that where you know the uh, the brass gets together and invites a lot of uh, you know guys who are trying out for the camp? And let's be honest, the Saints are one of those teams that always seems to find uh, players. It's it's never uh, retooling. It's it's or rebuilding. It's it's just reloading uh, with some new players. Um, so is that where it all kind of comes together? Is in the summer usually? Yeah, it does. And I mean, the scouts they work all through the winter, uh, whether it's watching uh, CSSHL games or AEHL games. Um, they kind of have their, their list made up throughout the winter. And then when the offseason, the spring, summer comes around, all those players call money to a camp, and then they get to watch them at a high level, high pace, and they make some decisions based on that as to who they want to invite to main camp. And it kind of goes as such. But, uh, yeah, no, this organization has done a great job in, 
and providing a good network of stouts across kind of Western Canada that uh, I've done a really good job. And I mean, everybody loves loves hockey when when you're involved in scouting. So it's not a job for those guys. They get to go out and watch some games and at the end of the day, hopefully make a junior hockey team a little bit better. All right. Well, for those who are outside of the market and are wondering what we're talking about when you talk about the, the development season, maybe just uh, dumb it down for uh, some of my audience that isn't right here in Alberta. What does that mean when the AJHL is is uh, moving to that sort of a format? What, is, what does that entail? So to the best of my knowledge, and I'd like to uh, just, just say with an asterisk that I don't know exactly everything, but uh, basically everything is operating as normal, minus games and minus fans. So the guys show up at a regular time. They go on the ice for a regular time. They're still doing the special teams practices, full uh, team practices, goalie sessions, etc. There's just no games on the weekend, and there's no fans watching anything. Uh, so that's the only difference is it's, it's kind of right now hold in place until the league and the province and all those other bodies come together to provide, a, I guess, a safe environment for, for the team and the league to go back to competitive play. And just with an uncertain start date for the season, I mean, this you could be practicing and just practice, practice, and some inter-squad games could be two, three months still. Yeah, you know what? There's no set time on anything. Uh, we're hoping for some preseason games in mid-October. Okay. And then beyond that, uh, I really don't have much more information. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of people around the junior hockey world would, would have the same answer to that question in the sense where they really don't know. And that's the worst part is because in hockey, uh, it's usually set in stone, right? Your schedule is set out for you in the off season. It's, it's done, ready to go. You know, it's, it's pretty stable in that sense. Who would have thought that we would have a pandemic that comes in and, and completely washes all that away and just creates so much uh, uncertainty in, in the junior hockey world? Well, and I, somebody had explained to me, you know, just or described it as hockey players are very uh, regiment orientated, very scheduled, almost like it's not quite superstition, but, you know, they start training basically the same week every, every summer and uh, just everything kind of falls in order. And with all of this kind of throwing everything up in, in upheaval, uh, how does that affect the guys in terms of their development and things like that? I mean, you're you're around the club now. You see them practicing. Does it feel different at all to you, or is it just kind of like training camp just a month later? Yeah, it does. It just feels like training camp maybe a little bit longer than normal and a little bit, uh, yeah, later than normal. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the challenge for the players came in the summertime when everything really hit the fan where – they weren't able to go to that workout session every day with a select group of six guys. They weren't able to get on the ice, you know, three or four times a week like they would have liked to. They kind of had to sit down and, and do their own thing a little bit. And I'm not sure if that really messed with their routine. They just had to create a different one where now they're working out at home and they're maybe not going on the ice as often. I think that when the group got together finally and started practicing again together, I think they kind of felt that routine mentality again. But in saying that, it, it's it's a question where, how long can you really go before you know you want to start playing games? You can only practice against each other for so long. You can only play three on three tournaments amongst each other for so long. You can only play so many inter squad games. You know that's that's where the question becomes: How big is the itch going to be to start playing games against other teams? Brandon, you mentioned the uh, voice of the Spruce Grove Saints, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, now, as for the roster, this year's team. Uh, I mean, it, there is a lot of turnover in the AJHL from one year to the next, especially for a club like the Saints that's always pushing players uh, to the NCAA uh, and beyond. 
what does this year's club look like? I know the team has uh, had some changes, made some trades, signed some players all in the last week here. So it seems like it's continually uh, evolving. Yeah, 100%. And there's some big off-season signings as well that uh, came into the organization. And you mentioned some trade last week, some other signings at a camp last week. Uh, Lucas Watkins, Chase Oliver, Brophy Dunn, Logan Breen. Uh, the list kind of goes on. And then a lot of kind of off-season LOIs and off-season acquisitions as well. Jake Aston came in from Drayton Valley at the start of the off-season. He's looked very good so far in camp. Uh, Jaden Davis, he's actually the younger brother of St. Goaltender Matt Davis. He played a few games last year. He's come in and looks really good in camp. And then you got some returning guys as well, like Graham Gamash, who had a great rookie campaign last year, over 50 points in, in 53 games. And Nick Lair, of course, a fourth-year Saint coming in, entering his 20-year-old year. And, and you know, uh, one returning goalie in Maxence Duchesne. And, and then you got a little bit of, of a wild-card situation with guys that are may, – may not be going to the Western League or, or, or what's going on there. They might stick around at Junior A. So it's uh, it's been good in terms of, of the turnover and recruiting and signing and trading for, for valuable pieces to the puzzle. But uh, there's still an uncertainty at the end of the day with, with everything right now. It doesn't matter if it's hockey or not. I know it's really early and, and maybe you can't tell yet, but who do you expect to be the leaders of this team, not just offensively, but you know wearing letters potentially or just leader on the ice? Uh, and any draft-eligible guys that we should take note of already? Uh, the one guy I would still watch in terms of the NHL draft would definitely be Ethan Edwards. Of course, he's not playing for the Bruce Grove Saints this season. Um, he is off down south, um, but he'd definitely be a guy to watch for the upcoming NHL draft. In terms of draft picks, it kind of goes back to what I just said, where we have a couple guys that are on the fence between if the Western League is going to go or if it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Reed Schaefer, Sam Popovich, they are draft-eligible this season, so... Uh, looking at those guys, maybe they uh, have a chance to go in the NHL draft, but it all depends on, on where they play as to where they get drafted out of. Um, and in terms of leaders on the group, you got to train your 20-year-olds as always. I mean, Nick Larry, the fourth-year guy, won an AJHL championship back in 2017-2018. So he's one that I would definitely circle on the roster in terms of maybe wearing a letter. And then you got some guys coming in from last year that had a great rookie champion. As I already mentioned, Brian Demarch, he's going to be a huge leader in the dressing room. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, leaders, uh, the, the categories are, are a little screwed and, and how, how you kind of look at that. It's, it's not necessarily what you've done before because there's guys that are coming into the organization that have free careers and they could easily wear an A. I guess they don't necessarily have to play for the same organization. So we'll see what, uh, what Bram Steven decides and we'll see what the guys within the room decide. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know it too. A, a team is made up of, of lots of leaders and winning teams usually have, 18 or 20, 23 guys that can wear the C, and at the end of the day, they all fight for the same goal. Brandon, uh, just the, the status of the league, a, a long delay like this is going to impact some teams uh, more so than others, and some teams have deeper ownership pockets than than others. What are you hearing across the league? Are there some uh, teams that might be in some uh, peril with, with the way things are right now and moving forward, not being able to play with fans, things like that? Or how, how much concern is there right now across the league? There was obviously some concern when all this stuff came down in March, uh, June-ish around there. But at the end of the day, uh, this league is a great sustainability model uh, within all 15 teams. And at the end of the day, there's, there's not one team right now, I think, that is struggling too hard. Every team is, is geared up and ready to go. And when, when they get the call, I think it's going to be business as usual. Um, now, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it affects every business, right? Um, doesn't matter if it's the Spruce Grove Saints or a hair salon or a grocery store, you know, it's, 
it's tough for everybody. But at the end of the day, like I said, the league has a great sustainability model, and and it really came through here this past off season. And and the result of that, I think we're going to have 15 teams that are are going to be competing for an ADHL championship, hopefully sometime this season. And a new team also in uh, in uh, just north of Red Deer, right? But not this coming season. That'll be for 2021 or 21-22? Yeah, correct. One more year, and then they'll be in the league. All right, perfect. Uh, let's hope uh, the next time we're on, we're talking about uh, scores and uh, stats for players, and we can just uh, focus on hockey. Uh, but until then, uh, Brandon, stay safe. I really appreciate you making some time today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you stay safe as well, and yeah, for sure, next time, hopefully, we're talking about some AJHL competition. Brandon Ewan Sheshin from the Spruce Grove Saints, who, uh, you follow them on Twitter, it's at SG Saints, and I see they have a, uh, a raffle going, a $15,000 grand prize raffle. They have a link on their, uh, Twitter feed from, on, uh, September 22nd. No start date yet for the Alberta Junior Hockey League, but uh, at least the guys are all uh, together and practicing, and uh, it's kind of like an extended training camp, as uh, as Brandon described. All right, one more segment left to go in this week's episode. It's a 2020 draft spotlight segment. Behind the scenes look, but Tyson Forrester, who is the player in the uh, spotlight, it's actually the first interview that I did early in the week. It's going to be the last segment of this week's show, but hey, that's the miracle of editing. Tyson Forrester, the Barry Colts, he's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Oscar Strong's draw, looking back to break it, fires and scores! There's number 50 on the season for Alex Dabrinkit. They'll pick up that puck, it was wired. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer, and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We're back on The Pipeline Show, and we're going to have a, a 2020 draft spotlight segment where we get to uh, get to know somebody else that's eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, October 6th and 7th, uh, rounds 1 and 2. And my next guest uh, shouldn't have to wait too long to hear his name called, uh, Tyson Forrester. Uh, welcome to The Pipeline Show, Tyson. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks for having me. Oh, a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, and I, I appreciate that you made some time uh, in the, well, it's an evening. Uh, the listeners won't know when we're recording this, but it's uh, an evening call. I appreciate that, and just a couple of weeks before the draft, so making time like that uh, is appreciated. Uh, what's the, what's your mindset right now? Are you getting a little nervous about the draft, or is it, man, you've been waiting so long for it to finally get here? Are you just going to be happy to finally get it done? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it's more excitement, I think. I've been waiting a long time for this. Um, it's always been a dream of mine to get drafted like everyone, but um, now the time's pretty much almost here, so I'm really looking forward to it and really excited. What have the last six months been like for you um, in terms of, you know, not 
obviously haven't been able to play and the way that last season ended compared to your normal routine for off-season training. I, I'm told hockey players are kind of superstitious or you get into a routine in your off-season. You know, you start training at the same time every summer. This summer is so much different. So how out of whack has it been for you? Uh, honestly, it hasn't been that much different. Um, really? My trainer, I, I started with my trainer, uh, like honestly, say maybe a month after the season ended. Um, I kind I kind of got right into it, so I think it it really helped me a lot this year, knowing that I need to improve my skating and and knowing that I have a lot of things that I need to improve on. So I think getting him in with him early, and I mean the rinks weren't open, but I could still train a lot uh, with him, so that that helped me a lot to work on my speed. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think I started skating maybe a month and a half after the season ended. Honestly, before the rinks even were open, there was this private rink uh, in Newmarket that I was skating at. Uh, private rank on some guy's horse farm so it, it was good <laughs> but that's in the summer how does he keep it uh, on a horse farm it's uh, obviously not an outdoor rink I'm guessing no it's it's actually pretty much almost a full-size rink in this guy's like backyard he's got a zamboni and everything so it's, oh it's pretty cool that is pretty cool nice advantage for you too were there other guys like were there other OHL guys that you know of working out there too yeah actually uh, Aiden Brown Quentin Byfield a couple of the guys there all right. Uh, well, so you didn't. Uh, it didn't really affect your training all that much. So, just the sort of the uncertainty of when the season is going to start. Does that weigh on your mind much at all? Uh, I think I we we got a date now that they said is it's supposed to start or December first. But I think uh, recently they said that we're going to go back November fifteenth. So yeah, that's always in the back of my mind. I'm I'm getting anxious to go back now. I mean, we've been home for a while now, more than usual. So I think I'm getting anxious to play and see the boys. Yeah. Nice. Tyson Forster, my guess, uh, uh, a lot of people expect you're going to be taken in the first round. We'll talk about the draft a little bit uh, later on. But uh, you look back at last season, what a huge jump in your production from your rookie year, 23 points. Nothing wrong with that, 10 goals. Uh, but suddenly 80 points last year, all the way up to 36 goals. To what do you uh, attribute that huge jump in production? Well, I think just my confidence. I think in my rookie season near the end of the year, I started getting more and more confidence, playing more. Um, and playing bigger minutes and then going into my second year I think I knew I could do it after my my first year at ending with a a couple game point streak there so I had a lot of confidence going into my my last year so I was just a lot more confident than I always obviously got off to a hot start um, playing with some pretty good line mates so they helped me a lot and um, I think yeah just all in all as my confidence grew and grew and I knew I could do it so Speaking of line mates, uh, did, were the same couple of guys all season, or did it uh, mix up a lot? Uh, well, my line mates actually got traded. Both of them got traded near the halfway point in the year, Ryan Suzuki and Matei Picard. <laughs> so I think those those guys helped me a lot, obviously, in the first bit and gave me more and more confidence. And, and then when they left, I even got Veerling and uh, Bignall. So I think uh, they're all pretty good, and they really helped me a lot. Were you a guy at the start of the year – I don't know if you do this from year to year, but do you like set a statistical goal for yourself? I want to get X number of points, uh, and I, if if so, did you blow past whatever your uh, you know your your goal was last year? Yeah, honestly, I I did. I I was trying to get uh, fifty goal or fifty points. I, I was um, just trying to double my total from last year. Yeah, or the year before last year, I was trying to get uh, twenty goals and thirty assists, and I. I kind of blew by that, which was good and gave me more confidence. Like I said, I've been I've been uh, leaning on confidence a lot. Well, so 70 goals and uh, 160 points this year is that the target? That's uh, <laughs> set, <laughs> setting the bar pretty high. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit for the uh, the audience. I have an audience across North America, but at this time of year, there's a lot of just casual NHL fans that are listening to this show. It's a it's a junior hockey uh, program, uh, but it because of the draft, all the NHL fans are just going to want to know who everything about all the draft eligible guys. So. For the benefit of those people, let's get to know a bit of your background. Uh, where in Ontario are you from? Uh, I'm from Alliston, Ontario. How big is that? It's pretty small, honestly. It's uh, Barry kind of looks over us. We're right in the middle of Barry and Newmarket, so it's pretty small, mostly farmland, and it's it's fun. Okay. And were you one of those kids uh, as soon as you were old enough to to, to walk and you, you had skates on and started skating in the backyard? One of those classic stories. Uh, yeah, honestly, I am. Uh, my brother actually is two years older than me, so I, I was watching him when I was younger, and I always wanted to try and be better than him and, and try and get to where he is, and I always looked up to him. Okay, and you're a forward. Have you always been a forward, or did you play on the blue line at some point? Heck, even throw the pads on? Uh, Yeah, actually, I, I was playing forward at the beginning of my career, and then I actually switched to defense for one year. Um. I played in the Brick tournament as a defense. So here in Edmonton. Yeah, there in Edmonton, I actually won the Brick there, playing as a defense with the, the Toronto Bulldogs. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then I just switched back to forward after the uh, maybe maybe a year, not even. I just think I liked it more and liked to score a lot. So. Yeah, but it's a, it's a lot more fun to to score the goals, uh, and you've been doing that a lot here as of late. Uh, take me back to the OHL priority selection that what that day was like for you, uh, a third round pick. So you didn't have to wait tremendously long, uh, but not necessarily a, you know, a first round pick either. Um, what was your draft day experience like for the OHL? Oh, actually I was just sitting on my couch at home with my, with my family. And I was just waiting for my name to be called. Honestly, I think going to Barry was probably the best thing that happened to me. I'm not too far from home. Like I said, it's probably 30 minutes from, from where I actually live. Yeah. So I think, that that was pretty special to be close to home, and all my family got to come and watch all the games, so it was good. It's interesting because I know some kids, uh, some players would like to have to move far away and have that experience. You prefer just to getting to play at home in front of friends and family a lot? Yeah, I think I like having my friends and family there. It's always fun talking to them after the game and seeing them. It's not like I'm I'm really not seeing them for, for months, months at a time, but I still had to build it, and I still had to move away from home, so it was it was a bit of both worlds. Uh, tell me about yourself as a, as a player. If we were, uh, you know, to crack open a scouting book or something like that, though, and you wrote it, what would it say about uh, Tyson Forrester? How would you describe yourself as a, as a player to somebody who's never had a chance to watch you play? Uh, I think I'm a, a shot first offensive forward. I like to go on the offense. I like to score a lot of goals, but I also like to make plays too. I think I can make make plays and play good on my de- defensive end too. Um, but yeah, I think mostly I like to shoot the puck. And uh, I like to score a lot. Fairly even split in your production, 36 goals, 44 assists. But the first thing you said was goal scores. So at the next level, do you you think that's your calling card? Is that what people will know you as, as a a goal scorer? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think, but also, like I said before, I think I can make a lot of plays too and make the right decision. So if I have a shot, then I'll take the shot. But if I have a pass, then I'm going to make the pass. Sheet I'm looking at says six one, 194 pounds, but I don't I don't know how up to date that is. Uh, where are you at right now? Uh, actually, I've I've grown a bit and I also put, gained a lot of muscle this summer, so I'm sitting at like six two, uh, 200 pounds right now. 
Okay, and that'll be interesting to see how that changes the way you can do things on the ice. Somewhere I read that you had a fairly late growth spurt, like over the last couple of years. Did you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think in my minor midget year, I was probably five eleven, hmm. um, five eleven, probably like one one seventy, one eighty, around there. So yeah, I've I've grown a bunch. I, I was I think I was a late bloomer as well. Interesting. Okay. You mentioned uh, skating at the start of uh, the conversation here that we're having. Um, that's something that I think you've probably heard uh, a, a number of times about uh, if there's things in areas of your game that you need to work on, skating would be one of them. Do you find it, uh, do you think it's uh, something that can hold you back or is that something that, you know, of all the, the traits and assets that players have, is skating the one thing that's maybe, maybe not easy, but the easiest to uh, try to address? Uh, I think, yeah, I think. I think I have a great hockey sense, so I think that that comes naturally, and I, I'm lucky to have that. And I think skating is one of the things that you can work on, and I've been working really hard this summer with my skating coach. So I think it's improved a lot, and I'm really excited to, to show everyone that it has and really excited to get the season started. So is it a, a mechanical thing? Is it just the way you, you uh, execute a skating stride or something like that? Or have, have you been able to pinpoint the areas of your, of your skating that uh, needs to be fixed or fine-tuned? Uh, yeah, actually I have. I, I, like I said before, I was working with my skating coach a lot this summer and he's really helped me a lot. And, um, I think, yeah, it's, it's helped me a lot. And, um, I'm just, like I said, I just want to prove to everyone. I think I've been proven to everyone. Um, I don't think anyone had me going this high in the draft at the start of the year. So I think I like to prove people wrong and I think I'm going to prove people wrong with my skating too. Speaking of the draft uh, and the rankings, uh, you, you're, uh, highly touted by most people, expected to be a first rounder somewhere in that. You know, I think Craig Button has you at 15. A lot of people have you a little bit later than that, and some early second rounder. But uh, does it matter to you? Uh, you know, if if you're, I'm sure from a pride standpoint, being a first round pick would be something. But uh, I've had a lot of players say the hard work uh, starts the day after the draft. So uh, where you're taken in the draft, does it really matter in the end? Uh, honestly, no, I don't think it does. I just. I mean, it's been a dream of mine. I don't really care where where I go or when I go. So I think that's what everyone always asks me is, where do you want to go? And I always say, I honestly don't care. I just I just want to get drafted. Uh, are, now, are you a guy who was during the season, would you look at the rankings to see where different outlets had you uh, slotted in? And, and did you use that as a motivator? Or were you one of those guys who tries not to think about the draft at all? Uh, yeah, I think I think everyone looks at the rankings and everyone – and wants to really see where they're at and what people are saying about them. But it honestly, in the end, it doesn't really matter what people say. If, if one team likes you, then they're, they're going to take you. So that's the way I always looked at it and just excited to get it started. You know, it's funny, Tyson, is that most players say they don't think about the draft and they don't look at the rankings, but I don't believe them. So I find it refreshing. No. I find it refreshing that you actually <laughs> say you do look at the rankings. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a lie, too, if they say that. Oh, that's great. Um, now, Ontario guy, does that make you a Leafs fan automatically, or were you cheering for somebody else? Yeah, actually, I've been growing up as a Washington fan. I, I love Alexander Ovechkin. I just love the passion he has for the game and how he loves every minute of it when he's on the ice, and he loves scoring goals like I do. So I I looked up to him, and, uh, yeah, I was a Washington fan. Nice. Uh, what's next uh, for you before, I guess you mentioned November 15th, you're supposed to report to the Colts. Uh, so what do you do between now and then? Do you, do you take a little downtime and, and try to relax a little bit, or is it just continually working out? Uh, I think it's continually working out and, and skating as much as I can. I mean, there's always room to get better, even if you think you've already gotten 
better or good enough. So I think I just need to keep working and, and keep grinding. What do you do when you're not uh, doing hockey stuff? And when you're not training those, is, is there a, you know, I, do you like to go to the lake? Are you, are you a fisherman or a hunter or something? What do you like to do? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm a fisherman. I really like to fish. I have a cottage up in Perry Sound, nice. like 45 nice. minutes from there. So I, I fish a lot up there and I, I go on fishing trips too. So I think I'm, I'm a pretty big fisherman, but I also work on my grandparents' farm. I mean, like I said, Alliston, where I live, is pretty much farmland. So, um, I, I work on my grandparents' uh, sheep farm in the summer, too. Nice. What kind of uh, fish are you catching there? At my cottage, it's it's pike, walleye, and bass. But I, I also fish in the rivers for salmon and trout. Oh, man, that's awesome. Great stuff. Tyson, listen, I really appreciate your, uh, your granting the interview here tonight and uh, giving me the time. And I, I appreciate it, or I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, wish you the best of luck. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Tyson Forrester of the uh, Barry Colts, and uh, that's that's going to be an interesting guy to watch for on draft day because I know, obviously, you look at his statistical production this past season in the OHL, and it's a terrific jump in production for himself. There are critics about his skating, but I, I've said it for a number of years that if you know there's one asset or trait that a guy has, one facet of his game that's weak that I think can be improved the most, to me, that, that one thing is probably skating. You know, if... If you don't have the high hockey IQ or the ability, I think, to score goals, is it's hard to learn how to score goals. I think you have a knack for it or not. Sure, practice can help. Uh, also, uh, vision on the ice, those types of things. You can, you can improve those things through practice, but I think you can improve your skating more uh, by practice and by dissecting your game and by working with a skating coach. And we've seen a number of players over the years who were not you know, fleet of foot or burners at the junior level who have uh, worked on their game as a pro and have, that's no longer an issue. Braden Point, perfect example. Hockey IQ off the charts as a junior, but there was questions about uh, his skating. Uh, nobody's questioning his skating now. Jarrett Stoll, you go back to his WHL days. Kyle Brodziak, this is a guy who played a ton of games in the NHL, was never called a good skater, neither was Jarrett Stoll. Worked on their skating, and it worked for them. Uh, so for me, if uh, if Tyson Forrester's uh, biggest weakness is his skating, you know what? A pick in the 20s, 30s with a guy with that much offensive upside, uh, that's that's probably an area where I would gamble uh, on, and uh, use a pick on a player like that. That wraps up this week's episode. Just the three guests, Tyson Forrester from the Barry Colts, Ryan Hardy from the Chicago Steel, and Brandon Ewan Sheshin from the uh, Spruce Grove Saints. Uh, my three guests next week on the show. Hopefully uh, we have more 2020 draft spotlight uh, subjects to talk to as the NHL draft, just a couple of weeks away, whatever other uh, hot topics come up, we'll try to address those here on the pipeline show. Direct you once again to patreoncom slash the pipeline show. If you'd like to get early access to all these interviews that I do, most of the time the interviews are, you know, it could be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The show usually comes out on Saturdays. Uh, but the interviews are usually edited and available on the Patreon site in individual segments like an hour after the interview is done. So patrons can enjoy those interviews in full uh, days before uh, the full episode comes out. So if that's of interest to you, if you find value in the Pipeline Show and you want to chip in a couple of bucks a month, that's how you do it. And that's where you go to do it at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. That's it. Until next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.